Last week, we had the privilege of hearing Isaiah. He started our study of the book of Ephesians, um, and he read to us, he taught us that we have been blessed by God in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. The passage that we're going to come today, Ephesians 2, is one explanation. Paul is going to go into detail and explain how we have been blessed by Christ, in Christ. He's going to do that by showing us, first of all, who we were before we know the Lord, and now who we are now that we've come into a relationship with him. Let me tell you a story. I was, uh, I'm originally from San Diego, um, so I live 10 minutes from the beach. A lot of my memories growing up come from the ocean, going to the beach. Uh, throughout the summer, we just pack up the van, head down to the beach for the day, and every month my church would do baptisms, um, where I loved growing up as a little kid. We'd go out there, we'd be out there for a the whole day, I'd see my friends from the youth group, and uh, we'd have a barbecue at night, and then we'd do some baptisms. As, as I was preparing for this passage, uh, one memory from that time came to mind. I remember uh, there was one day where I was hanging out with some of the high schoolers, and I was in junior high, and we went out and we got in the water. And if you're not surfing or if you're not boogie boarding, really what you're doing when the water is you're trying to get out farther. You're trying to get past the waves. You're either jumping over the waves, ducking under the waves, and seeing how far out you can go. So this one day, we were pushing ourselves. We were getting farther out, and we were getting kind of deep. And the, the thing is, I was out there with high schoolers, and so they're these big guys. They're athletic. They're tough. They're pushing themselves. They're getting far out. And me, when I was in junior high, I didn't look like this. I was a chubby little fat junior higher. <laughs> I was not athletic. And so they're pushing themselves, and I want to be out with the big kids. So even though I, I don't have the energy, I don't have the strength, I'm giving all I have, and I'm jumping over these huge waves, and I come flying down on the other side. And, and as we're going, you kind of go over a wave, you come down, you hit the ground, and you pop back up. And then you, another wave comes. You go up over the wave, you come down, hit the ground, and you pop up. And eventually we got to the point, though, where I came up over a wave and I came down and I couldn't feel the bottom anymore. The current had been pulling us out to sea and north up to the shoreline, and we got out past the breaking waves. We were in just these rolling hills of water now. And I'm swimming and <laughs> I'm getting tired. <laughs> My arms are getting heavy. And eventually, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm no longer able to tread water, and the water's coming up around my face. Fortunately for me, my youth pastor, Mike Harrison, was there, and he just sees chubby little Petey Cooper with the water up about his face, just like floundering. And Mike reach, swims over to me, and he reaches out and grabs me. And when he grabbed me, it felt like I had, I had nothing beneath me. I had no strength in my arms to keep myself up. He grabbed hold of me, and it was like I'd been grabbed hold by a rock. And he pulled me forward. And so he starts swimming. Um, I hope he listens to this sermon sometime so he can know I still appreciate him. Mike starts swimming. And, and with each, each pull, I feel the pull of the current pulling us back. But he'll reach forward and swim and push me forward and pull me along with him. And as we're going, as we're getting closer to the shore, he's swimming and swimming. It occurred to me. Now, when I was out in the ocean, I knew that I... I had no strength left. I knew that I couldn't tread water anymore, and I couldn't make it back to the sea or to the shore. But what I realized with while he was pulling me in was 
how much effort and energy it took to pull me into shore. As he kept swimming and swimming and pulling my dead weight along with him, I saw I, how greatly, I, how hopeless I had been in my situation because I was able to see how much strength and energy it took to save me, to rescue me out of the water. And it opened my eyes to see how hopeless I'd been to help myself on my own strength and also how great the help he'd given me. Today, we're going to start looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul is going to point us to who we were before we knew the Lord. He's going to give us a description of what our lives were like in that time. And as we first look towards that, to who we were before Christ, it's going to show us both how greatly we needed help how hopeless we were to help ourselves, and how great the help that we have been given. <clears throat> if you guys will pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for this day and for this opportunity to uh, get into your word, Lord. I thank you that um, we are saved and forgiven by your grace, Lord God, and that we have your word to teach us and guide us in, in our lives, Lord. And I pray that in this time that you'd help me simply to point uh, our hearts and our minds to the truth of what you have done for us, Lord, um, and that you would use that truth to encourage this church to build our faith and our gratitude towards you. In your name, amen. <clears throat> who we were before Christ. If you look with me at verse one, Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, when you're talking to people these days, if you're talking about religion, if you're talking about life and death, right and wrong, the debate doesn't usually surround whether or not there's evil in the world. People aren't usually arguing that human beings don't hurt each other, that we're not broken, that we're perfect. The debate usually surrounds what are the consequences of those mistakes? What's the result? What's the meaning of our failures? Some people believe that, um, yes, though you do make mistakes, what's really important is your heart. Are you trying your best? Are you doing your best to do good works, to be a good person? And you can't, you can't help it. You can't help making mistakes. But if your heart's in the right place, if you have good intentions, intentions and are trying hard enough, um, then, then that what makes, that's what makes you a good person. Some people, some churches, some religions believe that if, uh, yes, you have mistakes, you have failures, but if you do certain religious things, you can make yourself good. You, if you pray enough, if you, evangelize enough people, if you do enough of these good works, you can help yourself out. You can earn your way to being a good person. But what Paul is going to, what he orients our eyes to right now is, is he, he's, he's telling us that scripture has a clear, different understanding of our mistakes. Scripture teaches us that we were created by a holy God and that everything we have has been given to us as a gift. Every joyful moment you've had, every good friendship you've had, every physical comfort, every success you've had has been given to you by the Lord. 
We are created to live a life of gratitude, of love, of joy in those gifts, in appreciation to the one who created us. The problem is we have turned from that path. Rather than being grateful for the gifts we've been given, rather than appreciating and worshiping the God who made us, we've turned our hearts and worshiped any other thing we can find. Now, our mistakes have consequences. When we use the tongues that God gave us to lie, or we use the fists that he gave us to hurt other people, or we use the hearts he gave us to harbor anger and and bitterness towards other people, we aren't just making mistakes in a vacuum against human beings. Those are sins against the God who created us. And Paul points this out here, that those sins and those trespasses those bring forth death. So as we were looking at who we were before the Lord, we were dead, dead in the water. And Paul's going to continue to give a further description of, of the hopeless place we are in. And, and he's going to describe these sins that we committed, the trespasses, they weren't just abstract concepts. They're not just ideas. They were actual actions that we walked in. If you look with me at verse 2, it says, The sins and trespasses in which you once walked following the course of this world. Paul's going to point out two forces, two influences in our lives that are guiding us before we know the Lord. Before we knew Christ, we followed the course of this world. And this description, I feel like it's, it's super applicable to us in our time and our space. Our society and our culture is very aware of the fact that our ideas, our worldviews, how we rationalize and think through life, are shaped by the, so, the culture we grow up in. By whether that be your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, your geographical location, the way in which we understand the world is shaped by the society, the culture around us. The problem with that is that much of sin is reasonable to the world. A lot of these patterns of thought, the way the just natural reasoning of the world makes it understandable and reasonable to sin against the Lord. I'll just give one example. Um, pardon me. Before Lydia and I got married, um, I had two separate coworkers at different times come up to me and they, they gave me some pieces of advice. They told me, Peter, you're a young guy and you'll understand this when you're older, but what would be really good for you and Lydia, what would be more healthy for your relationship is if you were to not get married, if you were to wait a few years and move together in first. These two different guys came to me with the same piece of advice. And I was ridiculed by one of them that we hadn't had sex before we got married. There's a way of thinking, a way of reasoning in the world that makes it understandable, reasonable for us to walk in sin. 
and I was, I was kind to the guys. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't throw the Bible at them. I didn't do any of these things. So I was just like, I think I'm going to go. Thank you for the advice. I'm going to go with my path, with my way. The problem is before we know the Lord, we have no choice but to follow the way the world thinks. The way it reasons, the way it, it structures its beliefs about right and wrong, about success, what relationships mean. So before we knew the Lord, we were dead and we were actively following the course of this world, which led us into sin. The second force that it, it, it points out, if you look with me back in verse 2, it says, we are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And this one's a little more confusing. This isn't something we talk about very often. When Paul says prince of the power of the air, he, he's writing here to an all Gentile congregation for the best we can know. Um, and what I think is he's using phrases that, that would make sense. There are phrases that they would use in their culture. And he uses this phrase and a number of other ones to refer to evil spiritual forces, uh, demonic spiritual forces. And if you look back, that second description he gives, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that makes a little more sense. That's a little more easily to understand. What Paul is telling us is that, yes, there are these courses of the world. There's these social structures, culture structures that lead us to sin. But he's pointing to another factor, that there are in the world spiritual forces influencing us, encouraging us, guiding us into sin and away from following the Lord. It reminds me of uh, when I was in the water. I was swimming out and I could see the waves crashing over me. I could, I could see the, the beach, I could see, there's all these things I could see, but what I couldn't see was underneath me, the current of the tide going out to ocean and it was pulling me along with it. Before the Lord, we didn't know that these things, these spiritual forces, these thought patterns were guiding our actions. But without us knowing, they were pulling us out, out to sea and guiding us towards a path that led to death. So before Christ, we were dead. We were slaves to these forces. If you look with me at verse 3, he, lead, he leads us to look at one more description of who we were before Christ. He's talking about the sons of disobedience, and he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. Children of wrath. When I first read that, I, I assumed that it meant wrathful children. I assumed it meant that Paul was saying that we are prone to anger, but what Paul's really talking about here is when he describes us as children of wrath like the rest of mankind, he's saying children who are under the wrath of God. And why are we under the wrath of God? When this passage, Paul points to, in, in, just in case someone's going to complain and say, well, the, the course of the world led me into sin or these spiritual forces led me into sin. Paul's going to guide us right to our hearts and say, the thing that most led you into sin was your own desires, the things that you longed for in this life. 
He said that before Christ, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The things we longed for, we, when we sinned, when we were born into this world under sin, we were born broken. We weren't living the way we were created to live, to live in gratitude to God, in using the gifts that he'd given him for his glory. We were born broken, having our desires and the things we longed for shattered so that the very things we desired were the things that now bring us death. We long from within ourselves to sin. James 1, 14 and 15 describes it well. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Paul describes who we were before we know the Lord. We were hopeless, completely unable to help ourselves, and completely deserving of the punishment that we have been put under. But church, it's right at this moment, right when Paul has given us a full and a clear description of the punishment, the death that we deserve, that he interjects with glorious, with gracious words. In verse four, he writes, but God. This is the pattern throughout scripture, throughout, throughout all of these stories. It describes this horrific situation. It describes the pain of humanity. It describes our hopelessness, our brokenness, our inability to save ourselves. But God, God intercedes into our situation. He enters into our brokenness. Read with me in verse four. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, we are here today. The reason why we get up on Sunday morning, why we don't sleep in, why we get up and we sing and we, we know all these people is because we have a God who loves us. And we see the love that God has for us in the fact that he had mercy and compassion on us at that time in which we least deserved it. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we are made alive together with Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This passage shows us who we are now. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, who believe in his name, we are greatly loved by God. And we see his love in who we were before he saved us. By looking back and seeing the, the depth of our disparity, the hopelessness in our situation, and how we were complete, incapable 
of saving ourselves, of swimming back to shore. We look back and we see how great the grace of God that you've shown us. We are loved because of who we were before he saved us. We are also loved because of the manner in which he saved us. This is, this is the hope we have. Look with me in verse 8. You may have heard this passage many times before, or you may have never heard it in your lives. But this is a summary of the work that God has given us. This is what Christianity should orient itself around. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The Lord saw us for who we were, dead in our trespasses and hopelessly pursuing our own destruction. And at that time, God had mercy and grace on us. We are saved by grace through faith, meaning faith in a person. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. And you've heard this preached throughout this morning. We place our faith in the fact that his death and his resurrection was on our behalf. That is what we're believing. And why this is by grace, how we've been saved by grace, is the fact that that is the only requirement God lays on us. God saw us as, as being completely helpless to make ourselves righteous. We couldn't do enough good works to make up for our, our sins against him. And God, seeing a people who could not do the work, made a way for them to be saved, forgiven, which required them to do no work. It says here, you've been saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God demonstrates his love. In, in, first, in uh, Romans 5, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason we are here, the reason we follow this Lord is not because we want to make ourselves look like good people. It's not because we want other people to see us as righteous. And it's not because we think we can work hard enough to be good people. We come to church. We come to the Lord because he has offered to forgive us apart from our works. And to give us love, to give us mercy, to give us grace. Now, I said before that if the book of Ephesians is one long explanation of how we've been blessed in Christ Jesus. And I want to take us a little deeper here for just a moment, because this passage delves deeply into how God has blessed us in Christ Jesus. Look with me back at chapter 1, verse 20. Now, it's talking about the work of salvation that God has uh, brought into our lives. And it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's describing the action, the events that have taken place in the past in Christ's life. Jesus rose from the dead. He's seated in heaven. Now look with me 
at verse 5. It says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jeremy said it this morning, and it brought me such joy because I was worried that I was the only person who thought this way. Maybe I was off my rocker theologically, but Jeremy told us today, and I'm here to tell you right now, when we place our faith in Christ, what happens is God's spirit comes within us and unites us to his son. What does that mean? It means that now, for those who have faith in Jesus, everything that's true of Jesus is now true of you. Short of being the eternal son of God, every event that Jesus has experienced and every reality that's true of him is now true of each of us. We have been blessed in Christ in that by being united to him, we have received life. Galatians 2 talks about our being crucified with Christ, that our sin was placed on him. Our whole selves were placed on the cross with Jesus so that our sin could be dealt with. And we have been raised to new life and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Does that sound crazy? <laughs> You're sitting here at church right now. You're not thinking, I'm seated in heaven. <laughs> but what we're here to celebrate is the fact that though our reality doesn't look like this, what the word of God tells us, God tells us who we are and it says you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So I want to put out, in looking at who we are, we are greatly loved by God and we are blessed in Christ. And I want to point to two specific ways in which we're blessed in Christ. In Christ, we've received peace and assurance. Peace and assurance. Anytime you feel condemnation, anytime you mess up, you make a mistake, and Satan takes that thought, he takes that mistake and shoves it in your face saying, you aren't a Christian, you don't deserve the love of God. Anytime that happens to you, we don't have to argue with him. What this passage is telling us is that when we feel condemnation for the sins that we commit, we don't have to argue. It's not your job. We can say, yes, absolutely, I did that wrong thing. And yes, absolutely, I'm saved not by my works, but by grace through faith in the Lord. God didn't save us according to our works. He didn't save us according to our effort. And if God saved you by grace at the time at which you believed, right now, if you mess up, God's looking at you with that same grace. He's looking at you with the same mercy. The reality is we were never judged according to our works. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. We have peace and assurance that since we have been raised to new life with Jesus and are seated in heaven, we have assurance that our salvation has been completely accomplished. 
all the sins. If Jesus' death 2,000 years ago applied to me at the time at which I had faith, it definitely applies to me now, 15 years later. Christ died for the entirety of your life, all of your unrighteousness, to give you by grace, but out of God's love to redeem you, to rescue you out of your hopelessness and your brokenness. The second thing I want to point to, uh, the second blessing we've received in Christ is we've received rest. We've received rest. If you ever start getting into a mentality, start having feelings like, I need to start doing something. If you ever feel like, I need to pray enough, I need to get this sin out of my life, I need to do any things, these things in order to prove that I'm a Christian or to earn the love of the Lord, it's sneaky. It comes in sideways. You don't notice it, but your prayers start turning into, I need to get to a certain point in my prayer life so that the Lord will, the Lord will have grace on me. I want to tell you, church, um, this last week, I have not been feeling blessed in Christ. From about Thursday on through now, I'd been feeling condemned, and I'd been feeling like I need to work. And it's ironic. I knew it. I thought about it. I was like, what I'm experiencing now, my sermon is exactly what I'm supposed to hear. (laughs) When I'm feeling condemned, I'm supposed to tell myself I'm not saved according to my works. When I feel like I have to put energy in and reach a place in praying, I have to tell myself, you're not saved by anything you do. <sighs> and so I did that. I preached to myself. I practiced my sermon. And just to be honest with you guys, the reality of the lives we live, I haven't felt at peace. And I prayed. <laughs> I said, Lord, why haven't I felt peace? You tell me that you've accomplished my salvation all according to your love for me. Why don't I feel that way? And then God brought me to the reality that the grace we've been, we've received is not that we will feel forgiven all the time. It's not that we will feel spiritual all the time. The grace we've received is that it's true. And even when you don't feel that it's true, if you can't get that weight of condemnation off your shoulders, you can say, Lord, your scripture tells me who I was and it tells me who I am. And I'm going to walk in faith, in trust, that who you say I am is real even though I don't feel it. God gives us peace, assurance, and rest, and it's real peace. It's real rest. And lastly, Paul's told us who we were, who we are, and at the very end here, he points us to who we've been made to be. One reality, church, as I was describing who we were before Christ, 
that we were dead in our trespasses, that we had no choice but to follow the course of this world, the spirit that's over the sons of disobedience, that our desires, our, our passions were for sin alone. In Jesus Christ, we have been set free from those things. We are no longer slaves to the course of this world. We are no longer slaves to the passions of our flesh. So one thing we've been made to be, who we've been created to be, is free people. That doesn't mean you won't fail. That doesn't mean you'll be perfectly, but in in considering who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do in light of this truth, is we're supposed to live in freedom from the slavery of our past life. Look with me at Verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want to be careful here, because this whole sermon I've been telling you, you don't have to work. (laughs) I've been telling you, you can't save yourselves. You're saved by grace through faith and not by works. And I don't want it to sound like I'm flipping the script here and saying, but you got to go out. You better make sure you do what's right. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Just as we were made originally by that holy God, we were given the gift of life. We were given the gift of all the things we have, the experience we have for a purpose to enjoy our creator, to live in gratitude in our relationship with him. So now we have been loved by God with a purpose. We are created in Christ Jesus to go forward and be lights, to be a blessing to the world, to our brothers and sisters around us. And what's the difference? The difference between working to um, earn the love of the Lord or to better your own reputation, and these good works he's talking about right here is your motivation. This is something I, I realized a while ago is often like, if I get into this habit where I was like, I, I'm only reading the Bible because I think I should. I'm only reading the Bible because I think that's what a good Christian would do. And once I realize that, do I stop reading the Bible? No, of course I should read the Bible. But in acknowledging that, that I was reading the Bible for myself to make myself feel spiritual rather than to know my God, I can repent of that and walk in freedom and now read my, read the word, now do good works out of gratitude, out of gratitude to God for the grace that he's given to us. Church, we <laughs> have been greatly blessed in Christ Jesus by the Lord. Rather than receiving what we deserve because of who we were, God has had mercy on us. He's had grace on us. He's opened our eyes to our need and the the gift that he's given to us. And this shows us the great love with which we've been loved. You guys pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for your word, Lord, that though our hearts condemn us, though the world condemns us, we know who we are now. 
Even if our experiences don't line up with it and our emotions don't line up with it, we look to you for grace, for forgiveness. And Lord God, you always deliver. Be with us, be with this church, I pray. Give us strength of faith so that when we are condemned, when we feel like we are that person we used to be, Lord, that you give us strength of faith to trust in you for our righteousness in our life. Amen.